You know, as we look through the biblical witness, as we pour over the different characters of the Bible, we are often inspired and amazed at the the faith that so many have. We're impressed by the courage that we find in those who follow God. Um, But in those same characters, often there's a backstory. There's the uh, underside. There's those items in which we recognize they weren't perfect. There are faults that we find in some of them, but we often don't lift up those faults. We kind of bury them back behind the scenes. We don't necessarily talk about them, but sometimes those faults are large enough, often enough, that they're hard to avoid such is the case with the character Jacob, who we're journeying with for a few weeks. Jacob has a backstory that is larger than his front story. Jacob, as we discussed last week, his very name means uh, heel grasper or supplanter or really basically cheater and deceiver. <laughs> Think twice if you name your kid Jacob now. Or if you're named Jacob today, you might want to change your name. I don't know. I wouldn't choose Adam, though, because that means dirt creature. But anyway, um, Jacob, Jacob, uh, we found him. He's journeyed to his uncle Laban's, and Jacob has made that journey because he's done one of his greatest acts of deception to this point. He's deceived his father with the help of his mother, He's deceived his father and betrayed his older twin brother, Esau, by getting his father's blessing that should have been his brother Esau's blessing. He did so by hearing that his father was speaking to Esau, saying, hey, I'm old. I don't know when I'm going to die. I want to bless you. So Esau, Esau was a hunter, go out and hunt and prepare a good meal for me. Come in and and I will bless you. Now his father Isaac, the father of both Esau and Jacob, said all this with his eyes have grown dim. In other words, he's blind. He can't see anymore. But listening into this conversation is Jacob's mother, Rebecca, and she hears that and quickly conspires with the younger son, Jacob, that Jacob should pretend to be Esau while Esau is away that Rebecca would prepare the meal, that Jacob would dress himself up with some goat fur because Esau, his brother, was hairy and he wasn't. And so Jacob goes in and presents himself as Esau to his father Isaac in order to get the blessing. Isaac notices something's different. He doesn't sound like his son Esau. So he says, come here. I want to see, are you really Esau? Yes, I am. And he feels him and he feels the goat hair. And he smells the clothes that he's got Esau's clothes. Jacob's got Esau's clothes on. He smells, smells like my son, feels like my son. And the food is here. He eats and he blesses who he believes is Esau, but it's actually Jacob. Jacob, the younger son, has just stolen the most important gift of all, the blessing that was due his older brother. It's for that reason that I shared last week that Esau wants to now kill him 
So he's fleeing his older brother, and his parents have sent him off to get a wife, and that's how he finds himself in the household of his uncle Laban. And so now we're going to pick up that story by reading what happens. So let's pray. Lord, may you bless us as we listen to your word. May your spirit inspire us to be who you call us to be. Help us to live in you, and may your word give us encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 29, beginning at the 15th verse. Then Laban said to Jacob, that is his uncle Laban, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel oh, was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It's not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to, his wife, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Billah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm sure you've played it before, that game of ain't it awful. You might not call it that, but you kind of get wrapped up in it before you even know you're doing it, where one person shares a story, it's bad, and so then you share a story that's worse, and it goes deeper and deeper. And in many ways, we have something of an ain't it awful story here. 
I can still remember uh, going to college orientation, that time where they do icebreakers to get everybody to know one another in a new class. And there was this icebreaker, a grand icebreaker for the whole incoming class at Hope College. And the question pertained to summer jobs. They wanted to know what we did over the summer. And this was the question. They were trying to find out who had the worst summer job before coming to college. Well, right away, some of us put our hands down because we had a fairly decent deal, but others raised their hand and we started to hear some pretty awful stories. But each story got worse than the previous. And then finally, one guy raised his hand. He looked tired. He looked exhausted. He looked like he needed a nap for like a week. He looked worn down and weathered. And he started out as the mic was handed to him, and he said, well, you know how a lot of times you see dead animals, deer, and skunk, and things you don't even recognize anymore on the side of the road? I was the guy in the back of the truck with the shovel, putting them back into the truck and getting rid of them. With that, everybody's hands went down. He won. Ain't it awful? In many ways, we are dealing with an ain't it awful. We're dealing with a really rough story that Jacob goes through. Incredible betrayal and deception. Just an awful family story. And it's got a long time frame too, seven years. I mean, what we really have is we have a quick setup. We have a, a, a young guy who's in a fair amount of trouble already, leaving his family, fearful of being killed. He finds solace with his uncle, you know, miles upon miles away where there's no way that anybody could intervene on his behalf. His uncle takes pity on him and says, hey, you can't live around here for nothing. You want to work for me? I tell you what, I'll do you a deal. You can decide what your wages will be. Well, you know, he, young man, found interest in the daughter. I'll take Rachel, your younger daughter, I'll work for you seven years. Now, you need to know at the going rate, Jacob was giving Laban an incredible deal. The bride price usually was of a nature that Jacob could have worked only three, maybe four years and easily gotten a very good deal. It would have been a reasonable deal. Working seven years was over and above by far. Laban snatched it up in a moment. But here the deal is made. And then when it's time to follow through, it's betrayed. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've made a deal and then it goes wrong at the end? You had an understanding and then you find out you didn't have the right understanding? The type of thing where you return the car rental and they find out that you get zinged for all the gas that you didn't? refill the tank or you didn't read the fine print you ever been in that kind of situation Jacob is in a situation where he didn't see this coming I once had a teacher who explained how he took his children to the Middle East and I forget what country it was in but he paid he he made arrangements for his kids to get a camel ride and they negotiated the price back and forth and it was going to be so much to get the kid up on the camel and then for the camel to, to walk around for five minutes he did that but he forgot to negotiate the cost for getting the kid off the camel 
There's times where we just miss the fine print. We miss that other piece. And Jacob's here missing a huge piece. In fact, if we go back and read Laban's words, we find that he's not very committed one way or another. He's ambiguous in his answer. He allows Jacob to assume an answer. This is a horrible story. It's lousy in so many ways. It's discouraging. But the worst part of it is the poignancy that Jacob's own background brings to it. It's not just what happened. It's who it happened to. The deceiver is deceived. The con artist is conned. The deceiver is deceived and is deceived at his own game. The poignancy of it cannot be missed. Who does the deception in the first place? His own family member, his uncle Laban, is the one who deceives him. His uncle Laban is the one who causes him all this pain and distress. His own family. Well, what did he do? He deceived his father and stole from his brother. He deceived his own family. That's the first of four different ways in which it matches what he himself did. Then there's the um, whole, how did he, I mean, doesn't it go through your mind? Uh, how in the world does this, how does he not figure out it's not Rachel, but it's Leah? I mean, doesn't that just go through your mind? Doesn't that just kind of haunt you? I mean, scholars pour all over that trying to figure out a reason. They, they, they wore veils, and there, there's a lot of other biblical witness to the veil wearing, and that, that extends for a considerable period of time. There's that. There's nighttime. But then there's simply the reality that at such a feast that would go on for seven days, a wedding feast, there was a fair amount of drinking. Whatever the reason, Jacob doesn't notice. In the most intimate of moments, Jacob doesn't notice. And yet here he was himself before his father, Isaac. And even in the touching, Isaac touching Jacob, there's deception. The poignancy is overwhelming. There's also the fact that there's conspiring. There's another family member who plays a part. It's not just Laban who's pulled this off. Leah had to be involved in some way. Leah knew that Jacob was interested in Rachel. And yet Leah played a part in the same way that Jacob had his mother Rebecca play a part. The deceiver is being deceived by his own methods. And Jacob has a haunting question. What is this you have done to me? 
And, and we look for Laban's answer, and Laban's answer is, hey, in this country, it's not done this way. We never give the younger before the firstborn. How that must have smacked as he, the younger, had stolen from the older. And as he, the younger, had taken the blessing from the older, as he had used deception to take what was not his. And now the father's, or the uncle's playing that whole thing back on him. And yet his answer is so hollow. I mean, seven years. He had seven years to explain the fine print, didn't he? He had seven years to tell Jacob, hey, you know, if I can't marry Leah off, you know, you got seven. No, none of that. It's a hollow answer. The story is painful on so many levels. Just on listening to it, but then the poignancy of Jacob's own background, everything that he's done is coming right back on him. It's an awful story. So what's the redeeming value? What's our takeaway? So I guess we could go with, well, don't trust family. That's a pretty good message for church. Um, always look twice. What, what, what message do we take away? I would suggest to you that though this story sets up a number of other items, such as even Jacob eventually having 12 children, or 13 children, but 12 tribes of Israel, and that God works through the devastating situation that has, happens here, a family that is full of dysfunction and lost love, that God still works through that and, and brings out a nation. There are plenty of things that even come out of this awful situation, but I would suggest to you in the moment that the most powerful part of this story is the haunting question that Jacob asks. What is this that you have done to me? He's not turning around saying, well, I should have known better. What is this that you have done to me? What we have read today is a story within a larger story of Jacob's story, the Jacob cycle. But it is also a part of a larger book, the book of Genesis, that if you were reading the book of Genesis from start to finish, you would realize this question, what is this that you have done to me, is a question that we've come across before. This is not a new question. This is meant to trigger in our mind that we've heard that before. And where we heard that before was with Jacob's grandfather, Abram, or Abraham as we know him. Abram was given promises by God of promised land and, and that he'd have descendants. And we think of him as the great faithful one. But you know, early on after receiving that promise, he didn't necessarily always trust God. There was a famine in the land and they needed food. So they went down to Egypt. And when he went down to Egypt, he realized that his wife, Sarah, was so beautiful that it was likely that they would see, him, see his wife and kill him in order to get his wife. So he made a deal with his wife, Sarah, and said, look, tell everyone you're my sister. 
So sure enough, Pharaoh gets word of the beautiful woman that's now in the land and takes her into, what do you want to call it, a harem? And then, lo and behold, plagues start to happen, and the Pharaoh kind of figures it out and turns around and says to Abraham, what is this that you have done to me? The unexpected, the, 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 that which shouldn't ever happen has happened. What have you done? But it doesn't just stop there. That trick was learned by Isaac as well. Abraham's son, Isaac, the father of Jacob. It just keeps in the line. Isaac himself used the same trick. He too was in a land that, where the forces were overwhelming and his wife was beautiful. So he makes an arrangement with his wife. He says, tell them that you're my sister because again, he's concerned that if she's seen as his wife, he'll be killed, they'll take her. Tell them you're my sister. And a man named Abimelech, the leader of the land, takes Rebekah into his harem. And yet he's plagued with dreams from God, telling him, you've done an awful thing. You better give her back. And he's haunted. And he goes back to Isaac and he says, what is this that you have done to me? In truth, I bring to you this morning a story that in many ways seems to have no redeeming value. In matter, matter of fact, it seems depressing and discouraging. And it does because it's speaking to a central issue that we all deal with. Sin. Our brokenness before God. Our inability to hit the mark that God has for us. Like a poor archer, we keep shooting in the wrong direction, whether willfully or unwillfully. We keep doing it wrong. And that's just progressing through the human race over and over again. We are a broken people. Turning around, saying one another over and over again, what is this you've done to me? We have our ain't or awful, awful stories where someone's done something awful to us and we hear from someone else what happened to them and we can just pile on. It is rough out there. Even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, as he's going around telling people about Jesus, he's dealing also with this thing that is nagging at his side. The thing I do not want to do, I keep doing, he says, as he writes to the Romans letter to the church in Rome. The very thing I don't want to do, I keep doing. What is, he finally finishes with a question. What is to save me from all this? How am I to avoid all this? His answer? Jesus. What is to save me from this body of death is what he says. And then he says, Jesus. Because Jesus, Jesus is the one God sent. Jesus is the one who's with the woman at the well. The Samaritan woman who's kind of a half-blooded Christian there she is at the well in the heat of the day because that's when people go who are already ostracized by their own people for all their sinfulness. She's had seven husbands, and the current guy she's got isn't even her husband. 
And Jesus knows all this and offers her the living water of himself. She's like, well, how can I get water that lasts forever? I mean, are, are you better? And you know what well they're at? They're at Jacob's well. Our ancestor Jacob gave us this well. They're at the cheater, supplanter, deceiver's well. How are you to give me better water than this? She asked. It's poignant. It's loaded. He says, I am the living water. Jesus is the one who comes to us. What is this you have done, O oh God? The question is turned on its head. What is this you have done? Jesus is revealed to Peter in the boat as they're fishing, and all the fish are brought into the boat, and there's no way you can catch that many fish. He's a fisherman. He should know. There's no way you can catch that many fish that quickly when you haven't caught fish all night, and now we've got so much fish, it's in the boat, and the boats are beginning to sink, and Peter falls to his knees, and he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. And Jesus doesn't leave. Instead, he says, Oh, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. What is this you have done, oh God? Peter's walking through Jericho, and he looks up, and he sees in a tree a short guy who got up in the tree because he couldn't see, but he's a tax collector. He's been ripping off his own people. He's a betrayer. He's a traitor. He's been robbing everybody forever. He says, I'm going to go dine at your house today, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus' life has changed. And he just does, that's not a unique moment. He does it with Matthew, the tax collector as well, the very one who becomes one of his disciples and becomes an apostle, the very one who gives us one of the gospels, the gospel of Matthew. What is this you have done, O Lord? Peter, the one who Jesus says he's going to build on his church, the rock is the one who betrays Jesus after the roaster crows for the third time. I don't know him. And yet later Jesus resurrected there on the beach says to Peter, feed my sheep. What is this you have done, O Lord? In our interactions with one another, we are always dealing with our brokenness, our sinfulness. We're dealing with the fact that deep down we're Jacob. But God didn't leave us there. In the same way we'll see as time comes forward, God comes to Jacob and changes his life. Just as God has chosen to come to us through Jesus Christ so that we might have new life and no longer live in a life of sin. That we might no longer be trapped by this mess. And believe you, believe it, that people are hungry to hear what God has done. What is this you have done to me, O Lord? What he's done is he sent his son, Jesus, 
the only one who can take away our sins, the only one who can take away all that brokenness within each of us. No matter whatever good face we put on, we're all broken. What God has done is he sent his son, Jesus, to take away all of that brokenness within us and make us right before God. I think we have reason to sing. Let's pray. Almighty God, may you bless us, not by who we are, but by who you are. And may we sing and praise your holy name for the gift that you've given us in Jesus Christ, who washes away our sin. May you be praised, almighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. The very first one to ask the question, what is this you have done? Was God to Adam and Eve when they partake of the fruit. But God didn't leave it there. He had a plan from the very beginning, and he gave us Jesus. Go and reflect the light of God's goodness to us. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the blessings of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.